a rich, redeeming, and steadfast love that you've shown to us. It's that love that we depend upon. It's that love that we need. It's that love that we trust in, especially in times of difficulty, of heartache and loss, when ch and there's change and confusion. God, we need to be reminded of the consistency and the steadfastness of your love and of your unchanging character. And that is, that is where we are often, and that's where we find David tonight. Your love is why he cries out as he does, because there's something that he knows to be true about you, that he's trusting in your unfailing character and your promises for you to do and to be who you say that you are and to do what you say that you do so that he can embrace those things and hold on to those things through times of difficulty, even when that difficulty is due to his own foolishness. And we're there like all the time, so often. We need you, Father, I mean, more often than we know and recognize for sure, but even when our eyes are open to it, we are so clearly reminded of our need for you. And so we need you tonight. We pray, God, that we cry out to you and pray to you out of our need and ask that you would hear and respond to your people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's like I said in my prayer, David is you thinking about just thinking about that song as preparing to get into Psalm 38, and David is really he's really trusting in for God to be who he says he is and counting on God to respond to his cry to him, even when he's crying out to God because of his own foolishness. And sinful decisions. I mean, we're just, we're oftentimes not like that with one another. We're like, man, you made your bed, sleep in it, buddy. You made these decisions. You were a fool. You got to pay the consequences. And it's not as if God doesn't, he, it's not like we don't reap what we sow in many cases, but one of the things that we see in this passage from David is that he has committed sin. He has been foolish he feels the weight of it, and he cries out to God, and he's trusting in God's steadfast love and character to respond and to help him. And so I want to read through Psalm 38 in its entirety, and then we want to notice a few things from it um, in particular that I, that I pray are helpful for us. Psalm 38, I would title it, he's, a psalm is him waiting for restoration, David is waiting for God's restorative grace in his life. A Psalm of David for the memorial offering. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation, there is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden, and they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate all the day I go about mourning. For my sides are filled with burning, and there is no soundness in my flesh. 
I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sign is not hidden from you. My heart throbs. My strength fails me. In the light of my eyes, it is also gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stand far off. Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. But I am like a deaf man I do not hear, like a mute man who does not open his mouth. I have become like a man who does not hear and in whose mouth are no rebukes. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord my God, who will answer. For I said, only let them not rejoice over me who boast against me when my foot slips. For I am ready to fall and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. But my foes are vigorous. They are mighty and many are those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good accuse me because I follow after good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. I, I pray and I hope that you can, you're, you can connect the dots and you can hear and you can see David's plight in his conviction and guilt, how he describes his life because of his own sinfulness. You can see there's also a component where he's like, and my friends are all gone. Not only am I feeling this, this burden and this guilt of my own sin, but my friends have deserted me. I have nobody around me to help me. And not only that, my friends are gone, but guess who's present? The enemy, like these people that want to do me in and, and seek my harm. And so he's really facing kind of like the worst of, of circumstances. Inwardly, he's going through it and he feels terrible. Outwardly, all his friends are gone and the only people present are those who want to see him fall. And his, his plea at the end is like, Lord, just help me. Be there for me. And I think that that's where like a lot of, if, if we're thinking about it, a lot of times we are in our lives. This psalm, it paints a really good and clear picture of how we should feel when we sin against the Lord. When we don't feel like this, it's usually because we don't have that accurate of an understanding of what it is that we've done against the Lord and His holiness and His righteousness and His perfections and how our sin transgresses His goodness and His character. And we just, we think too lightly of our sinfulness. We should feel like this. It's also a great source of hope for the times where we do feel like this if it gives us a place to go. It gives a voice to the things that we feel that are sometimes hard to describe. If you've ever been, had your eyes open and been convicted for your foolishness and your sinfulness and your decisions, you, you can relate to what David is saying. Like physically, it takes a toll on you. Spiritually, you just feel like nothing. And you're really pleading and trusting in the Lord for him to be faithful and good and kind to you. And we see that actually at the beginning, a psalm of David for the memorial offering. The, mem the memorial offering is interesting that he, 
It's interesting that he writes that at the beginning of this psalm. The memorial offering is found in Leviticus 2. It's part of the grain offering. So what people would do is they would bring the grain offering into the temple, and um, it would be prepared to be put upon the altar, but they would take a handful of the grain offering before it was burned and prepared for then the priests would eat. They would take it and they would burn it, a handful of it, um, separately just unto the Lord as a pleasing aroma and a sacrifice to him. And contained within the memorial offering was specifically what they called the salt of the covenant. And so salt being a picture of preservation, it's a preservative back then, the salt of the covenant was to remind them of the, the preserving nature of God's character with those that he had lived in covenant relationship with. So so David's, so you imagine this. David is feeling like this as the psalm describes. And he's coming in, he's bringing his memorial offering, and he's taking a handful of it, and he's putting it on the altar to be burned as a, as a pleasing aroma and sacrifice to the Lord. And it's a plea, a reminder to him, and a plea to God, remember your covenant faithfulness to me. And there is no time like a time when David is experiencing the weight and the guilt of his sin where he wants desperately for God to remember his covenant faithfulness and love to David. He's counting on God to be who he says he is. In God's covenant love and favor, God promises to, to, to be faithful to his people. David is counting on God to be faithful to his covenant that he's made with him, even when, and especially when, David has committed sin and is guilty of it, and he knows it. And we see that through here. So he begins. Verses 1 through 2, 1 and 2 really set the stage for the rest of the psalm. This is his prayer. Rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. He's not asking for the Lord to not rebuke him. He's not asking for the Lord to not discipline him. He just does not want it to be in God's anger or his wrath because that's really, really bad. He knows that he's going to be rebuked. He knows he's going to be disciplined. We know that to be true from what we read in Hebrews chapter 12, but he wants it to be restorative in his life. That's where the psalm ends. God, rebuke me, discipline me, but do it as a way, as an expression of your love to restore me, to teach me from the, fool, for the folly that I've committed and the sin that I've committed to help me grow and to learn from it. Change me. Don't do it in your wrath. Don't let it to be punitive against me. And then he describes briefly in verse 2 what it feels like. Your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. Conviction in his life has a piercing and a pressing effect. I don't know if, if you've ever felt like that. You've sinned against the Lord, and you feel like God just pierced you, pierced to the heart, or oppressing. There's like this weight that's heavy upon you. Or maybe both. You felt the, the combination of the piercing of God's conviction and the pressing and the weight of the guilt over what you've done. Those things are good because they serve as God's means to, to turn us to him and to, for us to open up our eyes to what we've done. And then he goes in from verses 3 through 14 to describe 
his spiritual grief and the conviction that he is going through. There's no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. He knows God's indignation is towards him because of his sin. There is no health in my bones because of my, because of my sin. He knows exactly what the problem is. My iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They're too heavy for me. He's overwhelmed. He feels overwhelmed, and he feels like he's drowning. He feels like God has pierced him. He feels like God is pressing in on him, and, then his, and he feels like he's overwhelmed, and he's drowning over the grief and the conviction, and he knows rightly where it's coming from, his sinfulness, his folly, and he attributes it to coming from the hand of the Lord. This is part of God's means to help him see his sin and confess it and to to turn from it. And then he describes his sinfulness with vivid imagery in verses 5 and 6 and 7 and 8. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. All day I go about mourning. My sides are filled with burning and there's no soundness in my flesh. I mean, I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. His, inwardly, his heart is just overwhelmed with the guilt. And he just feels like a puddle on the ground. If you were to put together this word picture, right? I, um, I'm bowed down. I'm filled with burning. There's no soundness in my flesh. I'm feeble and crushed. And then he rightly attributes um, all this happening before the Lord in verse 9. Oh Lord, my longing is before you. My sign is not hidden from you. My heart throbs. My strength fails me in the light of my eyes. It also has gone from me. I mean, this is all language, especially the light of my eyes, that's so reminiscent of um, one who's passing away, one who's dying. We use that terminology when, when someone dies, right? The light has gone out. This is how David feels. He feels like he's just utterly undone. Physically, he feels the guilt and the burden and the weight. Not only that, but we see in verse 11, my friends and companions stand aloof from my plague and the nearest kin stand far off. It's like they're saying, don't, we don't want to be near that guy because we don't want to risk catching what it is that he's going through. I think of um, the way that, well, what Proverbs says about friends and what a wonderful gift that they're supposed to be. Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. 18, Proverbs 18, 24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I bet David really wished he had a friend like that. And it reminds me of just the value and the sweetness that friendship really is. When you have a friend, a friend born for adversity, when you're going through it, they're there. It's hard, it can, it's, you know, unfortunately, it can be hard to find faithful friends and people in your lives when you're really going through the hard moments. But when you're going through that difficulty and your friend is there for you, you see them as a sweet gift. 
from the Lord. And I imagine that David, even, like, even in his foolish, sinful choices, how sweet a friend would have been for him at his side during that time. Not only is he feeling this, not only does his, do his friends abandon him, but those who seek my life lay their snares, and those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. The enemy seeks to move in, and we see this again later on in verse 19. But this is what's interesting, verses 13 and 14, and this is actually, when David says this in verses 13 and 14, it's actually he's saying this to his credit. Right, He's saying that he feels this way. His friends are deserted him. Those who are present are those who lay their snares. They speak of ruin. They meditate treachery all day long. But he says, but I'm like a deaf man. I don't hear. I'm like a mute man who does not open his mouth. I'm not responding to my enemies. I'm not listening to their sinful taunts. I know that they're there. I know they're just adding insult to injury. But I become like a man who does not hear and whose mouth are no rebukes. He's not even going to give up and give in um, to what it is that they're presenting to him in his life during this time of difficulty. Um, He's not going to give up and he's not going to give in to them. And then we see where he does turn. The guilt, the conviction, the absence of friends, the presence of those who seek to harm him, his resolve to not listen to them or their taunts to him during his hardship. Verse 15 through 22, but for you, O Lord, do I wait. I mean, waiting is... Waiting for the Christian is normal. And there, are, there have been actually several of the Psalms recently that have ended on this note. Psalm 33, 20. Psalm 33 ended on this note. For our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Psalm 31, 24. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait on the Lord. In Psalm 27, 14, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. I mean, waiting upon the Lord is repeated throughout the Psalms, and so many of the Psalms end on that note or towards the end of the idea of waiting upon God. Sometimes, this is why I title this Waiting for Restoration. Sometimes God doesn't swoop in immediately and take away the shame and take away the guilt and take away the conviction. He allows these things to run their course at times, and we should be like David of saying, God will respond and he will deliver me in his time. And what am I going to do? I'm going to wait on the Lord because I trust in Him. Trusting and waiting oftentimes for the believer go hand in hand. You say, Lord, I want to grow to trust you more and more. Okay, well, I'm going to put you in a, in a situation where you have to wait upon me to answer your prayer or for me to do something in your life that you really are wanting me to do. And so we grow to trust in him in that way. Not only does he trust in the Lord, not only is he waiting upon the Lord, but he confesses as well. I am ready to fall. My pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. 
confession. It's like, it's such an important component of true repentance. Like, you can't have true repentance unless there's confession. And David, feeling the weight, feeling the conviction, confesses his iniquity. He's sorry for my sin, for his sins. Again, he describes that the presence of the enemy, my foes are vigorous, they are mighty, they hate me wrong for, wrongfully. But then in verse 21 and 22, we see his call, his cry out to God. Do not forsake me, Lord. Oh my God, be not far from me. Right, he's asking the Lord to be near. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. He cries out to God. His response, ultimately at the end, in verses 15 through 22, is a response of trusting, of waiting, of confessing, and calling out to God. And though others might oppose him, he's trusting that God is still for him and is going to deliver him and forgive him for his sin. So I think of this in several ways. Um, I think it's, it's a perfect psalm for those who are feeling the guilt and the conviction over their sinfulness and their ch the choices that they've made, and then to use this to bring them to Christ and show them and remind them of how the faithfulness of God can be counted upon, the forgiveness of God can be counted upon because of the work of Christ. Like, number one, if you're even feeling this way over your sin, it's because you have a relationship with Christ and you need to be reminded of the goodness of Christ in your life. But also, too, this can be used evangelistically where people are feeling like even unbelievers have this, this moral compass. We'll get into that eventually in Romans 2. People feel bad for the things that they do. And sometimes God brings people to such a place of feeling so awful for what they've done. They feel like they have no hope. There's no way out. And, that, and, and you bring them to Christ and you show them, this is, Christ has died for people like you, like me, like David. People who do these things and lament over their sin. And so you can use this evangelistically and preach the gospel to people through this. Bring them to Christ. Show them. In many ways, Christ is one who could sing many of the aspects of this psalm. When you think about he felt the weight of our guilt and our sin upon himself. He was, he was abandoned by his friends. He was the one that had his enemies around him mocking him and, and jeering him. And so he knows and can relate to our condition and our weakness. That's why he, Hebrews would talk about he's our sympathetic and faithful high priest. He knows what it's like when we go through these types of seasons because he has not experienced the guilt for his own sin, but he has experienced and taken upon the guilt and the weight of our sin upon him. And he has said, I've paid it. You can know for sure that I hear you when you call because I have paid the, your debt and paid the penalty for your sin. And so the believer comes with confidence. The believer comes when we call out, when you've committed sin and you feel the conviction and the guilt, don't turn from him and run from him. Turn to him and call out to him and feel and experience the expression of his loving kindness and his goodness as he washes you clean again and is faithful to bring you to himself. And so this is a wonderful psalm to use for a, a variety of different 
situations and circumstances. Um, I'm going to close us in prayer. We're going to close with, yet not I, but through Christ in me, which I think is such an appropriate way for us to close tonight as we turn our eyes to him and we see Christ as being the foundation um, for our, our forgiveness and our being cleansed of our sin and our stains. Father, we thank you for, we thank you for your word. The, the richness of it, the myriad of ways in which you speak to us, we're able to identify with so much of what it is that you've written in your word because, because we've been there. We, we struggle in these same ways as David. This man that, like you say, was a man after your own heart and yet was full of folly and sinful tendencies like we are, did not always do well or respond well. But yet through him even, Lord, you, you help us and you teach us. David had to learn to look to God for forgiveness. And by your grace, God, you have taught us to look to you for forgiveness as well. And I pray that that is not something that we ever, ever forget. The enemy works hard to convince us that, that there are other ways or that what we've done is not that bad or there's help somewhere else. But when we turn to these other things, Father, all we continue to feel is the heaviness, the pressing and the piercing. Teach us, Lord, to, when we sin, to quickly turn to you and find you faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To once again bring us near, to set our feet upon the rock, and to send us out once again to be your, your hands and your feet to a lost and dying world. So we thank you, Father, for your faithfulness, and we thank you for the reminders that we have like this from your word, which we were able to enjoy tonight. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand as we close with, yet not I, but through Christ in me.